Who has ever done that? Let me see your hand. Well, you know who your real friends are when your tongue is stuck to a frozen flagpole. And if there's a word I could use to describe that, it would be dumb. And the only thing dumber is if somebody else sticks their tongue on the same flagpole, especially if it's me. So I call it dumb and dumber. Following somebody else's mistake is a dumb thing. And I'm starting a series this morning called that, Dumb and Dumber. And if you remember early spring, we've been talking about God's blessing and how to walk in God's blessing. We did a series called Attention Getters where we were highlighting different people in the Bible that lived in such a fashion where God just gave them a blessed life. Well, this is kind of the flip side. We're going to see people who made some mistakes and lost God's blessing. And how many know that's a big learning experience too? And this morning, we're going to talk about a guy that did a really dumb, dumb thing, but he sold his eternal soul, listen, for an idol. He sold his soul for an idol. We'll explore his story this morning. Turn with me, Mark chapter 10. I've entitled the morning's message, Idols. By the way, if you have an iPad, you can download the notes or a smartphone. They're already here for the service, and you can kind of follow along. Don't trade your soul for an idol. Now, this story, typically called the rich young ruler, it's mentioned in the first three Gospels, the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This young man, each story gives us a little fuller insight. In one, he's a ruler, so he's a guy that's influential. In one, he's rich. So we've got a rich, influential person. He's a young person, but he has great respect for Jesus, and he's very concerned about his eternal soul or about his eternal destiny. So let's follow along in his story this morning and learn a bit. Mark 10, verse 17. This young man, this rich young ruler, ran up and knelt before Jesus and asked this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the idea of eternal life or eternity is an idea from the Scripture, from God itself. Eternity is a time, literally, when time will be no more. Uh, when literally this stopwatch and all that, it will just be an existence that is, goes on perpetually. And this life that we live on this earth is so small and minuscule compared to eternity that it should absolutely get our attention to live that way. Let me describe eternity perhaps this way. If you've ever gone to the beach in Florida or somewhere, and uh, you, obviously you bring sand home with you, and it takes you a little while to get sand cleaned up, but just imagine, even you that are picky cleaners, it could be six months later, and there's a little white grain of sand in the corner that you missed. And because you've got a little OCD in you, you go after that grain of sand. You get it right out of that house. Well, if you would compare that one grain of sand to all the sand on all the beaches in the world... I mean, you got it in Miami, so you drove all the way down the coast from, from, from you went to Texas, and then you all the way, Louisiana, every beach, New Orleans, Mississippi, Alabama, uh, Florida. Imagine every beach there, all over the world, Australia, uh, all, the, uh, all the nations, all the islands, all the sand around Hawaii, even the sand that's under the ground here in, uh, uh, where we live. Well, guess what? That one grain of sand is like your life on this earth. And all the rest of the sand is just the very beginning of eternity. So this is arguably the most important question, not only that he could ask, but you and I should ask as well. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said these words, and he quoted the Ten Commandments. He actually quoted five of them. And the first, uh, first five or more had to do with your relationship with God. And the second half is how I relate to people. This is what's most easily observable. Jesus said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal. And then he listed two more. But verse 20, Jesus said this, or the young man said, I have kept all these since I was a boy. 
Now, how many would say that is huge for someone to say, I've lived my whole life a religious, a godly life. I've tried to live a God-fearing life. Verse 21, Jesus said to him, you lack one thing, which how many know one is not bad if you think about all eternity. Lack one thing. I want you to sell all you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And then I want you to come and follow me. Now, Jesus was not concerned about his possessions. He was concerned about his heart. And this question, his answer revealed his heart. Verse 22, disheartened by the saying. Now, I would think that you should trade anything and everything for eternal life, but not this man. The Bible said he went away sorrowful for he had, or more accurately, those great possessions had him. Jesus said how difficult it will be for those that have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now, would you agree with me that it's a pretty dumb thing to trade your eternal soul for material possessions? But that's exactly what he did. He traded his soul. Let me know the only thing dumber is if I do the same thing. And this story was written in the Bible as an example for us. So this morning, I'm going to ask this big question. Actually, two questions. How in the world did this happen to this man? A devout religious person all his life. How could he have sold his eternal soul for some stuff? But more importantly, how in the world can I keep it from happening to me? And that's what I look for in the pages of Scripture. I look for doctrinal truth, historical relevance, and accuracy. But then I want to see how the Bible speaks to me today. And I'm going to give you some very, very practical things. But what had happened is money and possessions had become more important than God. Now, let me be real clear up front. Money is not bad. Money is it's a good thing. Everybody said... Yeah, money is good. Possessions are given to enjoy us. The Bible teaches us clearly. First Timothy 6, God gives us things to enjoy. So this is not a money is bad sermon, but this is a sermon having to do with our hearts and the fact that money and material possessions can somehow separate us from God if they become more important. We're going to see kind of how that works. What had happened is money or his possessions had become an idol. Now, 1 John 5, 21, the closing verse of this short book written by John, it almost seems like it's, what in the world is that verse doing in that, uh, in that book? But here's what he says. Little children, say it with me, keep yourselves from what? Idols. Now, idols were certainly the little, you know, rock man, you know, or the, or the image that they made. It could be a large or a small image. But this is not the case here. This is not something carved out of stone. This is the broader definition of an idol, which simply means anything or anyone that occupies God's place in your life. Let me say it again. Anything that occupies God's place in your life. And how many know that can be sports? It can be hobbies, it can be stuff, uh, it can be uh, your pursuit of your career, uh, it can be a person. It's anything that occupies first place. Everybody say first place. That place is reserved for God and God alone. The, Lord, the Bible says the greatest commandment, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. Now, he didn't say you can't have fun with life. He didn't say you can't play sports. He didn't say you, you know, can't duck hunting, turkey hunting, all those things. But what he says is, I just want to be first in all this. And the problem with this guy is, though religious as he was, he was he, God had become second. You see, what he violated, and this is why Jesus brought the story to us, is he broke the first of Moses' Ten Commandments when God told Moses, you must not have any other gods. Yeah. Except me. So God's saying, I want to be first. So let's kind of get into those two questions. First of all, how did this happen to him? 
I'm going to give you three reasons, one of them very clear in the Scripture. The other two, I think, are good possibilities. But the first one, how this happened, how did money become an idol? How did a possession, something he owned, something he had, something that God blessed him with, uh, the sign of uh, wealth and possessions were actually a sign of blessing in the Scripture that God was good to us. How did that become an idol, or how did that become his God? See, this is not terminology that we talk about in America today. You won't hear this discussed on morning talk shows or, or anywhere else. They're not going to talk about it, you know, on The View or the Round Table. You'll never hear Oprah, I don't think, talking about idols. Uh, but this was very, very real because things can become an idol. And, and here's the first reason. It's because he loved money more than God. He loved money more than God. Money and things had taken God's place in his heart. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 and I want you to say this with me. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. The love of money. This love, this devotion that belongs to God is shifted to things. Now, it doesn't say money is evil. If you think money is evil, I'll be at the back door after service. You can give it to me and I, you know, I'll be happy to take it. Money is not evil. But money has the potential to pull us into something that can separate us from God. And every one of us need to listen to this today and let God speak to us. Notice, it is through this craving, this craving for things, it is through the craving for things that happens in our life that some do what? Wander from the faith. So my desire for something becomes so important that God becomes second and it pulls me away. And the tragedy is it will cause much sorrow. Jesus taught us with this passage, Luke 16, verse 13. Jesus said, no servant can serve two masters, which means, and now what he's going to say is he's saying, God is as a master, but money can be a master. Listen to what he says. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. In other words, only one can be first. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. And very interesting there, verse 14, the Pharisees were lovers of money. Now, the Pharisees were, as we read in the Bible, most of them were bad guys. But you know what? The Pharisees as a whole were really good people. They were ones, along with several other Jewish groups, that preserved the Bible and preserved the Jewish traditions between the several hundred years between Malachi and Matthew. But yet, somehow in their life, money had become more important than God. Now, when we talk about the love of money, it's kind of abstract. But I want to illustrate it with a hobby in my life. It is turkey hunting, in case you didn't know. Now, how many know if you buy a turkey decoy and it comes in a fancy bag, that baby's going to cost you some money? This is what it's all about, this little girl right here. And it's not just the girl decoy. This is the high-dollar guy right here. How much do you think these two things cost? $150 for the two of them. On sale... Here's the problem. You know what gets, us, gets turkeys, uh, sends them to the table? Sex and ego. In the springtime, is breeding time, the male turkey is looking for the girls. And when other boys try to come up, he fights them to get them away because he wants all the girls. But I want you to kind of look at these decoys here. I mean, are these not the coolest decoys? Stop looking at her like that. The, the, I mean, these guys just look real. This guy is so real looking. 
I have, I had three different occasions this year where a male turkey ran up to this one on one occasion and got so mad he started flapping his wings and he's got spurs on the back of his heel and he started spurring him because he was trying to get rid of him. He's pretty cool. Now, here's the question. Is it possible that this could lead you into idolatry? Is it possible that a hobby like this could lead you into idolatry? I believe it is. Now, I'm going to give you an example in just a second about how I could be pulled into idolatry with my hobby because I'm not going to talk about yours. And the things that I'm going to say about me are illustrating are not really true, but they could be true. And don't worry because I'm not going to talk about you this morning. <laughs> Fellas, I'm not talking about your car and how much a Christian should put into restoring an old car. I'm not going to talk about it. I will not tell you how much chrome you should have under that hood. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to tell you anything about the tires, whether they should be wide or whether they should be real skinny. And I, well, I may say something about the spinning rims, though. <laughs> I understand that these spinning rims help with gas mileage, some kind of centrifugal force or something. So I understand that. I'm not going to talk to you guys about how big the stereo should be in the car, okay? I mean, if you want to go down the street going, that's your business. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not talking about the size of the big HD flat screen TV in your house. We all know that an idol is somebody that has a TV bigger than yours. So that's off the table, okay? <laughs> Ladies, you're in the clear too. I will not talk about color and clarity in your diamonds. Just forget it. We're not talking about it. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to talk about that one-inch label in your purse that adds $200 worth of value to it. We're talking quality, okay? It's off the table. We're not going to talk about it. And we're certainly not going to talk about how many shoes you should have in your closet. None of my business. I am enough of a fashionista to know that every, every outfit needs its own pair of shoes. I know that, okay? So it's totally off the table. I'm going to talk about my hobby. I got my decoys, I'm ready to go, but the problem is I need another gun. And I've got a good gun, all right, okay? But my brother has one, and it's got this fancy little handle on it. And it's got a special little barrel and special little sights on it. The only, the only problem is, is it costs more than I have. And I'm thinking about it. And listen, turkey season's coming up really close here, and I don't have the money to get it. And, and you know what? I'm gonna, my wife won't know because I keep the checkbook, but I think I'm just not going to pay my tithe for, you know, about a month. And it'll be okay because the church has money. Come on. God. I get my gun. And then, see, the problem with turkey season is it's only a couple weeks long in Arkansas. And heck, if it's something that you just love to do, do you know you can start hunting turkeys in South Florida way earlier than you can here? And you can buy, a and then you can go to South Texas, and then you can just migrate your way up America. And you can turn a two-week season into a three-month experience. The only problem with that, though, is, you know, I was teaching a Sunday school class, and I was mentoring seventh grade boys, and a lot of those boys didn't have a dad, and we connected, we played ball and things, but you know what? They, they told me in church that I never came anymore during those three months, so I, I had to give up my class. And you know, all the traveling that I had to do, of course, if you spend that much money and you go somewhere and you still, just on the weekends, I mean, you just don't have time to read your Bible, so, you know, it's just a few months, okay? But, you know, that, that's okay. Well, then... Not only do I got places to go, the problem is I hurt my leg and I can't walk real good. And I don't have a four-wheeler, but I'll tell you what I really want. It's that six-wheeler that all six wheels pull, okay, that's camoed, 
I, I, listen, everybody needs one. Come on. You need one. And, and, and it, uh, here's another problem. I felt I was supposed to help with $5,000 with Abby's church building. And my, we'd already saved it up and set it aside. But, you know, I really prayed about it. And, and I think the Lord wants me to have fun. So I'm going to take that money. And instead of building the church, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it in the six-wheeler. Now, God will understand. And the rest of the money, well, you know, the world didn't fall apart, you know, when I quit tithing the first part. So don't tell anybody, but I think I'll just, you know, I've already got it figured out for two years, and then I'm, I'm back on with God. And then you'll never guess the coolest thing in the world happened to me. I got an inheritance, okay? A lot of money. And I had been going to northern Arkansas for years, and I passed this place, and I thought it would just be perfect. So I didn't even think twice. As soon as I met with a lawyer, I went that very next day to the realtor, and I bought that place. The only problem, though, is I've got to go up there every weekend because, you know, if you want your turkey plots and your food plots and all that to grow, you've got to go tend that stuff. And I know I miss church about three out of four Sundays, but I'm telling you, I love to do it, and I commune with God out in nature way better than in church. I mean, it's just, it is just better. And, you know, I pray, I'm with God, and, and I ask God. I pray all the time for God to do things for me, and it was a choice. To, listen, I just went in there. I said, God, if you want me to have that four-wheeler, let them approve my credit. And I went in there, and they gave me a contract without even looking at much. That must be the Lord. And now I bought this land, and I'm going up there every day. But the weirdest thing happened to me one Sunday. I, 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 just, I spent all Saturday up at the ranch, and I came back home because I really need to see my family, you know. But I got an invitation to go to the National Wildlife Turkey Federation calling contest. I mean, not many people get to do that. But the problem, though, it's about eight hours away, and, and it starts Sunday. You know, I had to see the, the kids this after, yesterday, last night. But it starts Sunday about 4 or 5 o'clock, so I had to leave 8 o'clock. And I'm coming by the church, and I got my little ranger with me, and my little four-wheeler thing, and my gun and everything. And, and I get this weirdest text message. It's from a friend of mine that saw me drive down the road. And he texted me. He said, the Holy Spirit just told me to tell you, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? But since I don't text and drive, I ignored it and I kept going. Now, that's not true, okay? But it could be true. And the problem is not the decoy, not the gun, not the six-wheeler, not even the land. The problem is the heart. And I do not presume to tell you today how many square feet you can have in your house as a Christian, how many shoes in your closet, or how big your diamond is. That is your business. But what I do want to tell you is those things can become an idol, and it can steal your heart from God. What I can tell you in the story I told you, here's a guy, quit reading his Bible, that quit serving the Lord, that quit tithing, that quit giving to missions, and before he knew it, God had moved from the center of his life to the outer edges. And can I tell you, that's what happened to the rich young ruler, and that's what the love of money will do for you. Give the Lord a big hand this morning. No more spinning rims, okay? Luke chapter 11. Here's a second possible reason why he did this. Now, this is a speculative one, but I think it's got biblical bearing. Luke 11:3. Maybe he wanted the independence that money gives him rather than the dependence on God. How I many know money gives you power? It does. It gives you the ability to have freedom and make choices. Luke eleven three, Jesus said this in the Lord's Prayer that you and I are to pray each day. Give us this day our... Now, think about that just a second. Why would God say that? Wouldn't it be way better if I just had enough money in the bank where I never had to worry about it? 
Now, there's a part of me that would really like that. It is hard to live by faith. Come on. Imagine, let me illustrate it this way, because we're talking about independence and dependence on God. Imagine how dependent on you your children are with lunch money. Imagine you've got younger kids in second grade, and they like the cafeteria, they even like the food, and uh, it, two bucks a meal. Well, anyway, every day, in, in the first year they went to the new school, every day they're going out the house, and they say, Mom, I need lunch money, and you give them two bucks. Next day, Daddy, don't forget my lunch money, two bucks. The next day, they're at school, they forgot to ask you, so guess what they call? Mom, I got any money or I can't eat. If I don't eat, I'll die. So what do you do? You run down to the school and give them lunch money. Imagine how different it is the next year if you went to the cafeteria and said, how much money do you need for all year because I'm tired of the hassle, and you wrote a check for $500. Do you think that child would have any sense of dependence on you to take care of them whatsoever? No. And sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, we like the less pressure that's on our life if just all our needs are met, the power that money can give us to be in control. And I suggest to you, money offers that to us. And unconsciously, we're all striving. How many know we should prepare for the future? The Bible says a wise man sees evil and hides himself, but the simple go on and are punished. Saving is a good thing, but we're saving not just for security. We're not saving just to be independent and do whatever we want to do. We still are dependent, come on, whether you don't have a nickel or whether you're a multimillionaire. How many know we still want dependence on God? And it could very well be that this rich young ruler thought if he gave it all away, come on, that's right. He'd have to take care. He, he, he would just, life would be too hard. That's possible, and that's something that we may grapple with. Here's the third one that's quite possible. Perhaps he found his identity, or maybe he found happiness in what money could buy. Maybe it was his greed that drove him to get more. And now Jesus wants to take all that away. I suggest to you his problem was a heart problem and not a dollar problem. And when he became greedy, he became stingy. It's the way it works. If your happiness is tied up with what you have, the last thing you'll do is give something away. Some of the stingiest people in the world are some of the wealthiest people. Now listen, statistically, true, the more you make, the less you tend to give away. Because when you didn't have anything, come on, you're just getting by. But when you have a lot, come on. Jesus said this, Luke 12, 15. You're awful quiet on me this morning. Luke 12, verse 15. Jesus said, beware, guard against every kind of... And then Jesus said this amazing thing. Life is not measured by how many avian X decoys you have. What he said, Jesus said, life is not measured by how much you own. So now, now we're talking about, about identity versus contentment with what we have. Have you ever found yourself comparing yourself to somebody else? Let's say if you were on the short end of the stick. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you drove up in the parking lot and uh, you're getting ready to go to Target or wherever you shop. And, 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 and your car's a little older, uh, you know, it's a little older. And somebody drives up to you in a brand new ride. Come on, and it's, whether, or maybe it's not. But the person that gets out of the car, they got sunglasses on, and you just feel them kind of looking over their sunglasses down at you. We've all felt something like that. But if we're not careful, we can let the label on our clothing define how we feel about ourselves. Listen, this is such a huge, huge challenge for your children. Your children cannot be happy unless God is at the center of their life. If they're wearing jeans from Sam's and everybody else is wearing whatever, 
skinny jeans or whatever the word is. But, but this is not just a kid thing. This is an adult thing. Have you ever found yourself looking at people just to try to stare at their watch to see who made their watch? Have you ever tried to just look on the back of a piece of jewelry that says if it's real or if it's bling? Years ago when we were in the minivan era with our kids, you know, had young kids, I'm riding down the... Now that's a nice Toyota minivan. Many moons ago... And uh, I'm telling you what, that thing would, 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 it was a nice vehicle. But I was riding behind this person that had a Toyota vehicle too. And, and I saw the thing that just rocked my world. On the back of his vehicle, it said L-E. And the only thing I could imagine was it was a luxury edition. And I didn't have an L-E. And all of a sudden, the van that would keep me cold when it was hot outside and warm when it was cold outside that was reliable to get me from point A to point B and even had a moon roof where I could stare at the stars, but I never did. <laughs> Somehow it didn't do what it used to. Are we tracking? Now we're talking about contentment. And if you compare yourself to other people and that's the way you feel good about yourself, come on. The Bible talks about contentment with what we have. Whether we have a lot or have a little. And I want you to please understand this message. My hope for all of you is you will go through life and God will bless you. That you will have the things of this world. Nice vehicles. You'll be able to go on vacations. You know, how many know the Bible says the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow to it? Deuteronomy says God gives us the ability to obtain wealth. Some of the wealthiest people in the scripture were people that followed after God. So the issue is, can God trust me with it or does it begin to control and define my life? And somehow that's what this young guy fell into, this rich young ruler. Listen to what the Bible says about this wonderful thing called contentment that's available to every one of us. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, godliness, that is living the God life, with contentment is what? Great gain. So if you're walking with God, there is a potential, there is an ability in Christ for you to be happy whether you have an L.E. or whether you have a non-L.E. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. So here's a question. Why do we live our life in such a way to just get as much as we can? And when we get it, we're not happy with it, so we get some more. That's greed. Food and clothing will be content with that because those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a... A trap. So what does that mean? Does, how can you not want to get rich but yet desire? Well, listen, you desire God and the blessings of the afterthought rather than desiring the gun, the six-wheeler, come on now in the land and letting your life revolve around that. God just wants to be first. He doesn't want to punish you by making you poor, but He doesn't want an idol to grow in your life because you've been blessed. I'm preaching way better than you're amening. This rich young man had a heart problem. Rather than loving God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength, he loved his possessions more. God was first, but his decoys and such became first. Come on. And he got himself in big trouble. And my hope for you is that you're going to be blessed, but God, listen, will be at the forefront of your life. And if you were ever asked by the Lord, give it all away for eternal life, you wouldn't have a second thought that Jesus would be so real in your life. Come on, give him a good hand today. I want to take the last 10 minutes and answer the second question. Remember, first question, how could it happen to this guy? It was the love of money. 
It was possibly the desire for independence. And lastly, it was his identity. But how about us? How can we keep this from happening to us? How can you idol-proof your heart? And ushers, maybe help me out here. It's people starting to fan a little bit. I don't know if it's getting hot in here on purpose. Turn the heat up to about 90, okay? We want to... Just teasing. How can we keep this from happening to us? Let me give you four real practical things. You can write them down or you can look online. Um, here's the first one. Give God your first and your best. Give God your first and your best. Leviticus 27.30. The Scripture says, A tithe of everything from the land. What does it say? It belongs to the Lord. It is what? Holy to the Lord. Now, a tithe is a tenth of what God gives you. It's tithing. I practiced this all my year, life for 30 years. Why is that so important? Because when you give God a tenth of what He gives you, it establishes the priority of God in your heart. It makes you depend on God more because how many know you don't have 100% of what you had that wasn't enough. Now you got 90%. So it makes you depend on God more. It makes you look to God as your source rather than other things. So this simple act of obedience is, in my opinion, it is the greatest way to crucify this love of money in your life and put God first in what you do. And if we're not even willing to make that first step, I'm telling you, fear or something is controlling us. And I want to encourage you not just from the preacher preaching, but from an experience. I've been doing this for 30 years. Let me tell you how I practice this today. Whenever I get a check, whatever it is, and I make out my little deposit slip, as soon as I make that deposit slip out, I see which, what it is, take the calculator, I figure 10%, and I, and, I, and I write my tithe check. I do that right then. Now, it may be three or four days before I come to church. And let me tell you why I do it at that point. Because it helps in my little pea brain recognize God gave to me and now I return to Him. God was the one that is the source of this. Come on. Not my degree. Not my hard work. Not my smart investing. God was the source of this. And I return this to you because I depend on you. Because I believe in you. Because this is our covenant. And I, my best advice to you, and, and, and if you think I just want your money, give it somewhere else. Because I don't want your money. I want your heart. And I'm telling you, Jesus said you cannot serve God and money. Only one can. Because Jesus also said where your treasure is. And if you have, if all your treasure is in the turkey decoy, if it's all in the gun, and there'll always be a six-wheeler, and once you get the land, you're going to want the land next to you because that's where the most of the turkeys are. I'm telling you, that's the way it works is the devil always offers something else. Here's the second one. It's a big one. It's very simply this. It's prayer. Now, tune me on on this one. This is huge. Two scriptures. Luke eleven three. 3. Jesus said, in, we're to pray. Give us... Everybody say out loud. Each day. Each day daily bread. In Ephesians 5, 20... It says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Now, let me tell you how this works. I get up in the morning, and one of the first things I do in the morning is I say, God, first of all, thank you for letting me wake up. But then I say, Lord, would you give me provision today? Would you give me daily bread? I start out by looking for God to use, come on, my job or unexpected things to care for me. And let me tell you what I do when I sit down for my meal. I've prayed for daily bread. I sit down for my meal... And I say, thank you, Lord, for giving me this food. When you bow your head at a restaurant or at home, you're, you're, listen, how many, the USDA takes care of most of the, uh, of the cooties out there. 
But when you say thanks to God, you've just recognized Him as your source. Let me tell you what I do when I go to the ATM machine. That's where I do my banking. I want in and out. How about you? I got things to do. When I put that check or those checks in there, here's what I do before I, before I stick it in that monster that's going to eat them. I say, thank you, Lord, for giving me this one and that one. Come on. Thank you, Lord, that you're the source of that one. Thank you, Lord, for whatever it was, a birthday present, a salary. Thank you, Lord, that you're the one that gave this to me. And it goes in the little machine, and it's not just going in my account. Come on. It's going in the account of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, DBA, John Miller, because he owns it all. And if I could ever move to a steward, come on, that's managing what the Father has put in my hands rather than an owner that wants the turkey decoy, the gun, come on, the six-wheeler, the land, and the adjoining land. I'm preaching so much better than you're amening this morning. I'll tell you what. Let me give you a third one. Not only, uh, not only uh, God first, your prayer. I call it this. Adopt an offensive strategy. Adopt an offensive strategy. You ever heard the phrase, the best defense is a... This is what I mean by this. Okay, maybe, maybe something in your life you've been convicted of. I don't know what it may be. But maybe, okay, Lord, I don't want to love turkey decoys. I don't want to ever, oh, no, 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 I don't, I don't know that I want to even look at that six-wheeler because, golly, that could be what the preacher was talking about. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. I can only have so many square foot and be a holy person. I can only have so many shoes and be a holy person. I'm getting dizzy up here. Last trip. Lord, I can only have so big of this or so big of that. Why don't you do this? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I get up, I read my Bible, there's praise on my lips. I turn the radio off and I did a little extra prayer time. I'm going to church and the Lord's the center of my life. I'm serving the Lord Jesus with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I'm investing my money in the kingdom of God. That little decoy sound is less and less, come on, the more I do this. Now, I'll get up in the morning at 4 o'clock and I'll go play with these guys. But on my way to hunting, I'm going to be doing this. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for letting me get up today. Thank you I got a vehicle and I had gas in it. And thank you that I had a place to go. I'm telling you, friends, an aggressive, put Jesus first in your life, you'll never have to worry about idols. And let me close with this one. 1 Timothy 6. Here's some advice from the Apostle Paul. Paul said this, 1 Timothy 6, 17. It is, in my opinion, the best scripture in the Bible dealing in a balanced way with this thing called money. Uh, the Message Bible has a little grab to it. It says, tell those that are rich in this world's wealth to quit being so full of themselves and so obsessed with money. It's almost like the more you get, the more other people want it, the more you have to defend from the insurance and the lawyers and everything else, and, and I just got to have more and I'm happy. Look, hey, tell them this. Go after God. Can you say that? Go after God. But look at verse 18. Do good, be rich in helping others, and be extravagantly generous. Because if you do that, you'll build a treasury, treasury that will last eternally. You'll gain life that's truly life. I'm telling you, that is powerful. It tells you that you can enjoy things in this life, the blessings of the Lord, but it also tells you you be somebody that goes after God and puts Him first. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. Let me close with this scripture, and then we'll, we'll have a prayer. Luke chapter 12, it's, it's another dumb guy. But, but I ask the question as I close today, what matters most, God or possessions? Luke 12, verse 13, Jesus came and he said to this man, or he said to the crowd, guard against every kind of greed. Say this with me. Life is not measured by the L.E. on the back of your car. And he told them a story. 
a rich man. Now, here's a guy. He's a farmer. And the context is this guy had just made a bumper crop. He had lots of, of corn, of beans, of whatever. He was wealthy. And he was at a juncture in his life. And verse 17 says this. He said to himself, what should I do? And you know what he should have done? After he thanked the Lord for what he got, he should have said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Come on, because he's the master. But he didn't. He said, what shall I do? Shall I buy this gun with the mossy oak breakup pattern? Or shall I buy this gun, come on, that I could use for duck hunting as well? What should I do? And he tried to figure it out on that level. I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said this. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones. I'm going to sit back and say, Oh, buddy, you've got enough food stored away for years to come. Take it easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool. You're dumb. You will die this very night, and then he'll get everything you work for. I'll tell you, the lawyer, and then the guy who marries your cute wife. That's who's going to get it all. <laughs> or the kids will take their part. Verse 21 a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but does not have a rich relationship with God. Again, he didn't say wealth was bad, but the person who has his priorities out of whack. A fool stores up earthly wealth but doesn't have a rich relationship with God. Can I tell you, that's pretty dumb. And the only thing dumber is if you and I do the same thing. And today, we started out with a guy sticking his tongue on the flagpole which was a picture of this rich young ruler, come on, doing something dumb, followed by another guy doing something dumb, because somehow they had lost God as the center of their life. Somehow money and possessions had become more important. And I'll tell you, friends, it's not about how much you have. It's not about how big your house is, or you could have a double XL, triple LE on your car and still love God. Amen. Some of the most generous people I know are some of the wealthiest people. But some of the stingiest people I know are wealthy people. Some of the people that love money more than anything live in a little bitty old house or apartment. But some of the most generous people I know live in a little bitty old house or apartment. And they're as happy as a lark. Because happiness is not determined by what I have. Come on. Happiness is determined by who has me. And if my life is connected with God that way, listen, I'm on board and you'll idol-proof your heart. Praise the Lord. Give Jesus one more big hand today. Worthy of our praise. All right, we'll do this next week, Dumb and Dumber. And if you want to listen to it again, it'll be on the phone app in a day or two or the, or the, or the, or the, or the computer. L let's close this way. I, I, I wonder what the Holy Spirit might have said to you in this message. And I want to encourage you to respond to that right at your chair right now. Maybe God is speaking, putting his finger on something in your life. Maybe there's something you need to start doing. Maybe there's something you need to change. Maybe there's something you need to get rid of. I don't know. But this between you and God. I want you to just bow your head just a minute, and they're going to sing a song through one time. And I just want you to simply say yes to the Holy Spirit. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I leave for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm away. Pray, Lord, have your way. Just sing it, offering your Lord, life to God. I give you my heart. I give you my heart. 
with a prayer blessing today. If you're here today and in your heart you simply want to say, Lord, I want you to be first. I don't want there to be any idols in my life. I don't want anything to be more important than you. If that's your desire, would you just stand to your feet? I want to pray a blessing over your life to move from what you're feeling today in this service to tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. Lord, we're standing before you as your people, and first of all, we want to say thank you. Can you just do that now? Thank you for the way I got to church today. If I walked, rode a bike, somebody gave me a ride, if I came in an old car or a brand new one, I want to say thank you for transportation. I want to say thank you for food today, whether I'm eating, you know, beanie weenies or whether I'm eating a steak after church. I want to say thank you for taking care of me. I want to say thank you that I had a roof over my head. It may not be exactly what I want, but I want to say thank you because I am content with where I am. And Holy Spirit, I just want to ask you to help us all to live this out. I want to pray, first of all, a blessing. And that scripture that said it's the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and adds no sorrow, I just want to pray the days ahead are days of prosperity, days of fruitfulness, days of increase and enlargement. But I pray, Lord, that an idol would never find its place in our heart. I pray that we would be the most obedient people, the most generous people, the most God-honoring people, and we'd never get ourselves in that pickle where Jesus puts his finger on our heart and says, give me what you have, and we turn our back and walk away. Help us, Lord Jesus, with this thing called idols, and don't let anything take your place. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give an opportunity for a personal prayer before we go home today. And the prayer is simply this. Maybe you're here and there's something, a need you brought to church today. Can I tell you, worst thing you can do is to have a need that you want God to help with and leave the same way you came. If you've got a need in your life and you want somebody to pray for you, give us just a couple of minutes, let us do that. It could be anything. It could be, you might have a real burden for somebody you care about. Family member, friend, could be your company. I don't know what it is. But you want someone to pray with you and God to help you. You may have a big decision to make. You may be sick in your body. I don't know what it is, but let I me mean, know when we need God's help for something, best thing to do is let somebody take you by the hand and in confidence pray for you. But it's this need that I want to be most, most uh, pronounced with. You need to get right with God. Now hear me. I was raised in a church like many of you, but it was in my head and not in my heart. And something began to happen to me. I just, as a 19-year-old boy, I began to feel God calling me. And I used to relate to God like 911. If I had a problem, you know, I'd quickly call heaven and say, get me out of this. But as soon as the problem was over, God goes back on the shelf. I'm telling you, a man told me that you could have a personal relationship with God. A man told me that religion didn't have to be an obligation or a tradition or a duty. But he told me it could be a relationship with your Father in heaven. 
And I was aware of my need for God, a need for a Savior. And I asked God for God's forgiveness. And listen, I committed my life to follow Him. And I received Christ as my Savior. It changed my life. August 15, 1976, it was a profound day. Maybe this is your time. Maybe you have just felt God's presence in this service today and you want to give your life to Christ. Maybe you've gotten away from God. Don't know how it happened, didn't mean to, but you just kind of did. And you feel God pulling you. Listen, all I am today is just a guy that's telling you where to get bread for hungry people. You come to the Lord Jesus Christ. So whatever your need may be today, we're going to sing it through one last time and then dismiss. But our prayer team is going to come down front right now. They'd be delighted to pray with you. If you want prayer for anything, just come right on out with them. Just slip out of your chair and come on up. Let somebody pray for you. Let them minister under the power of the Holy Spirit. Let them have a prophetic word for you, a word of encouragement. Let them help you today. I love you very much. Thanks for coming. You bring a friend next week. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake.